kind of new around here, too. You, you might either think that I'm Jeff Lucas, which, alas, I'm not, if you look at the bulletin, um, or you might be a little disappointed that I'm not Jeff Lucas, if you are in here. Jeff, uh, Pastor Jeff was going to be speaking here uh, this whole weekend. He, he's had some kind of goofy um, flight schedule stuff, so, so he'll be here tomorrow. So I apologize if it's bad, come back tomorrow. Um, but Jeff will be around then, so I'm, I'm sure he'll get in fine. Please be praying for his, for his flight. I'll, I'll try to throw in a British phrase, cheeky monkey or something now, and then to make you, make you feel at home. Um, how, how many of you guys remember the, the long, awful winter that we just came out of? Like, oh, yeah, it wasn't fun. You don't want to think about it, right? It, one of the things though, that I love were those, you know, those kind of spurts. It was like a week of nice weather, but it was a tease, you know. But, but we had a couple of those uh, throughout that. And this is, this is the thing that I always, I always break. As soon as it's nice weather, this is what I'm breaking out. Because I've got four kids, and as soon as it's nice weather... I mean, the bikes are out of the garage. Dad, get the bike, get the skateboard, get the whatever down for me, and they're out. So I'm, I'm out there, and I set this, I set this in, our, in our little street, like right in front of our road, because we, you know, we kind of live on a main road. And, man, they're just going crazy. They're loving it. And um, there were f- a few months back, there was, there was this sort of incident that happened. My kids started telling me, they said, Dad, we were outside, and, and there's this lady, and she's in this white car, and she drives by, and she's, like, screaming at us and saying, get out of the road, you know, move your stupid sign and all this stuff. And, and she, you know, she's going fast, and I'm like, that's not okay. And so anyway, they told me about it for a while. Well, one night, we have, we have an office kind of in the front of our house with a, a little TV in there. So one night, kids are in bed. Chris and I are in there watching TV, and I'm just sitting there, Chris goes, there's, there's a car in front of our house, and it's just sitting, and it's kind of like moving forward a little bit, and then moving back, and moving forward. I'm like, that's, that's kooky. That's kind of creepy. So, you know, I kind of like, you know, look out the, the blinds. It's her. It's the white car. Well, I realized why she's moving back, because I left my sign out, and she had knocked it over, and she's driving over my sign, running back and forth, just back and forth, back and forth. There, there are actually, you can see there are tire marks on my sign here that I paid for. So, I mean, I just... I'm like, what in the world? So I run to the door, I unlock it, I run out there, and I'm like, you know, like I'm yelling. Well, she sees me and takes off. And I'm like, not on my watch, baby. So I run back inside, I put on my shoes, I grab my keys, and I'm like, I'm going after Corella DeVille. She's probably got like a dozen puppies in the back of her car she's going to make a coat out of. So I jump in the car, I'm, I'm speeding after her, looking for driving all around. And she's got to have like turbine engines in her car, because I can't, I don't even see her. I can't even find her. Oh, and I'm mad. I'm just angry. Running over my sign, putting my kid. So, so I come back home. I walk in the, I walk in the house. And I'm like, oh. And Kristen, like, hasn't moved. She's standing there. She's like. She goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm on a holy crusade, man. I'm bringing justice. And, and then she says the thing she always says. Anytime that I'm, like, borderline doing something inappropriate, she goes, what if she's a timberliner? And I'm like, she's not, a Timberliner wouldn't act that way. That woman's from the devil. There's no way she goes to Timberline Church. And so she's like, what, what were you going to do like when you, if you caught up with her? And I hadn't really thought about it, but I was like, well, here's what I tell Corella DeVille. So I start saying, oh, I'm going to, you know, this and that. And she goes, that's like threat. You can't say that. That's threatening stuff. So all of a sudden, you know, it kind of hits me. I'm like, oh, man, she's on her side. You know? No. It, it does. It hits me, and I'm just thinking, oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I, you guys, I lost it. My, I don't know, 
$8 sign. I mean, I saw her running over it, and I just, I blew up. You guys, I was angry. I mean, this was a neighbor who was not mature or neighborly, and I can't handle that. I was going to show her what a mature, neighborly neighbor does. But this is, in all honesty, you know, and I did, I did think, okay, I am telling this at Timberline. Should I, like, you know, what if she is there? What if she's listening online? What if she's, you know, out there? So, I do need to be the bigger man. If, if that was you, okay, I need to own it. Okay, I, Jeff Lucas, repent of having done that. And I'm terribly sorry. I will pay for whatever emotional damages I, I might have caused you in any way. Um, well, today what we're going to do is we're going to look at, look at a guy in Scripture who, who, who lost it. A guy who was just like consumed with anger in a pretty significant way in his life. Um, we're in a series looking at little books that, that, that like have a big message to them, that have a lot to tell us. And last week, Pastor Scott introduced us to one of these books, the, the ancient book in the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures called Jonah. And he looked at how God called this man Jonah, who was, he, who was an Israelite, Israelites, they're in covenant with God, special relationship with God, totally unique thing. And he says, I want you to go to a people who are not in a covenant relationship. They, they don't know me. And I want you to bring them a message. And, and the message is a message of warning. It's a, it's a message of judgment. God is going to judge them because of some really heinous crimes, some pretty significant, gross immorality, some, some wickedness that, that would kind of blow our modern minds in a lot of ways. And afterwards, after Jonah started on this path of, like, just anger, resent, it started kind of small. It just started with kind of an arm cross. And by the end of this story, he's absolutely blowing up with anger. And that's what I will look at more closely today is Jonah's deep, debilitating anger. Because, see, I believe that at the end of this story, what we see about Jonah's anger, it reveals his true heart. More importantly, it reveals something about God's true heart. And then maybe most personally, it gives us some really significant observations about our own hearts and lives. So if you have your Bibles, open to the book of Jonah, a tiny book right about in the middle. And it's only four chapters, and we're just going to read the very last chapter, chapter 4. It'll be on the screens if you don't have it. Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and, become, and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said it would be better for me to die than live. 
But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he replied. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? If you have an outline and you want to follow along, you can fill in a couple blanks in the back. The first one is God gets angry, and injustice should anger us. Now, a lot of modern Westerners, and if you're a modern Westerner, really have trouble with this here. See, they say, and you might say, you know, I, I believe in a God of love, but, but not a God who gets, who gets angry. But see, here's the problem with saying that. If you have a God who never gets angry, you can't have a God of love. If you have a God who never gets angry, you, ha- you cannot have a God of love. Because think about this. If you never get angry about anything, you do not love anything. Because if you love something and, and you see that thing in danger, you see someone going after threatening that thing, you get angry. See, if, if you're indifferent, you're not in love. Listen, listen to the words of one author here, um, Becky Pippert. She writes this, Think how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Do we respond with benign tolerance, as we might towards strangers far from it? Anger is not the opposite of love. Hate is, and the final form of hate is indifference. The more a father loves his son, the more he's angry at the drunkard, the liar, the traitor in the son. If I, a flawed, selfish woman, can feel this much pain and anger over someone's condition, how much more a morally perfect God who made them. You see, true love, like authentic, deep, thick, robust love, always, always will get angry under the right conditions. See, anger, you got anger in its, in its uncorrupted, unperverted, unbroken state. Do you, do you know what anger is? Anger is just love moved to deal with a threat to someone that you love. That's all it is. Anger is, you could say, love in motion toward a threat to something or someone that you love. See, if, if, if something you really love is threatened, you get angry at the thing that's threatening it. That's why, that's why anger pulverizes. That's, that's why anger disintegrates, because something you love is, is actually being endangered. Anger is just love in motion when something you love is under threat in some way. Now, here's a, here's a little test for you to think, about. okay, is that even true in my own life? Think about this. If, if you look at the things in your heart that, that make you most angry, then ask the question, ask this question, what am I defending? What is it that makes you most angry in your heart? And then ask the question, what is it that I am defending? And what I would suggest is that you will find what your heart loves the most. Think about that. Do that this week. Write it down. What is it? And see, that's the reason why when the Bible says God is angry, God's angry at Nineveh. 
God gets angry at Israel. He gets angry at Jonah. When it says God is angry, it's not because he's cranky. It's not because he just reaches, okay, I'm done with it. And he just sort of explodes in some massive bout of anger. It's because he loves us. And and, and he's anger at the cancer of sin that is eating the inside of us out of humanity. He's angry because he made humanity in his own image. And it tears him apart to see that being destroyed. Think about this. Just think about the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus Christ, whom the Bible continually says again and again, was, was, was morally perfect being. And yet we see him getting angry pretty regularly. And no one, no one in that day said, Jesus is a man of love. Jesus said, my, my people will be characterized or be known by how they love as I do. Jesus was known as a person of love, and yet he was angry. He's angry at the money changers in the temple, John chapter 2. He's angry at the religious leaders, Mark chapter 3. He's angry at the death of Lazarus, John chapter 11. And you guys, so many times in the original language, when it speaks of, of, of Jesus' anger, it uses these really significant, huge words. It talks, about, it talks about Jesus snorting in anger. It talks about him bellowing in anger. It, it's using significant words to say, this isn't, this isn't a mere sort of, oh, I'm bothered, like I've got a pebble in my shoe. He is angry because it's something that is destroying what he loves. Sometimes read, read the gospel sometime, and every time he's angry, go, what is he defending? And what you'll find out is you'll find out the heart of Jesus. And therefore, you'll find out the heart of God as well. See, so why would Jesus get angry? It's not just because, well, maybe he was fed up, maybe he had a long day. No, no, no. Jesus got angry because he loved perfectly. Because he had the purest, most perfect love of all. So the Bible never says that, that that anger is always wrong, but it does give us kind of some contours of healthy anger and unhealthy. We'll talk about that here in just a couple minutes. But point number two in your outline, grace can enrage us and anger can consume us. Verse 2 of chapter 4 of Jonah, we read, He, speaking of Jonah, Prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, it's really interesting here. Jonah, in this, in this kind of flowery statement he makes, you know, that he's just kind of recognizing about God's character, where he says, uh, gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He's quoting Exodus. And this is, this is, this is like a really, really well-known passage. This would be like, like what the Pledge of Allegiance is for us. This would be a passage that was, it was well-known for the Hebrew mind in terms of this is the nature of God. This is what, when Moses was standing on the, mount, on the side of Mount Sinai, and he said, God, like, I, I want to see who you, I want to know who you really are. And this is the description God gave about himself. This is his self-description to him. And he quotes that. But what's really interesting is that Jonah doesn't quote the last part of it. He doesn't kind of quote the very end, which says, the very end of this is, and you are the God who punishes the wicked. That's interesting that he does it. Maybe, I don't know, but maybe it's sort of like he kind of leaves it off, you know, almost, almost as if to say, God, are you forgetting something? Like I just did? 
<laughs> Look, I love your grace. I love your graciousness. I love your kindness. But the really, really bad people, the really broken people, the really ones who offend and hurt and use others, they still need to pay. Because see, we generally want mercy for ourselves and justice for the one next to us, don't we? Um, my sins are faults, uh, honest mistakes in a lot of ways. There's some really interesting statistics. People, people who are surveyed about their driving habits. How many speaking of driving habits? People are oftentimes asked about their driving habits in these sort of formal, you know, statistical questionnaires. And the, major, the, the vast majority of the time, and the vast majority of people who are asked, how's your driving? They say, it's, it's, it's above average. I'm above average driver. And the same people, vast majority of them, vast, vast majority of the time, say, other people on the road are, are below average drivers. It's not interesting. How many of you would, I, no, maybe won't have hands, but would say, oh man, of course I'm an above average driver. Everyone else stinks. We all can't be right on that, right? So, something, something is wrong there. But see, that's, it's, it's not just that our faults are excusable. It's that surely they're not as bad as, you know, Cruella de Vil. Surely they're not as bad as somebody else's in some way. So when it comes to us, grace can be really easy to enjoy. And when it comes to other people, that can be really hard to swallow for us. And that's exactly Jonah's predicament. That's exactly where Jonah is at right here. There's some um, ancient... Uh, rabbi rabbinical commentaries that are written looking like at Job and what's going on and why does he feel this way and you know, why do you think he's doing this. And it's kind of interesting. Some of these guys, they, they believe that Jonah's reasoning for, for not wanting Nineveh to repent isn't just that you know, he hated him and he wanted him to die. I mean, there's, there's certainly some evidence that there's a piece of that there. But, but many of them suggested that it's, it's not just that, but it's this idea that if they did repent, they would make Israel look much worse. You know why? Because God had already sent prophets to Israel and said, you're bad, you're wicked, and you're as bad as these other people. But guess what? Israel was not repenting. Israel eventually gets almost wiped out. They get sent into exile because they never did repent. And Jonah knew the track they were on. So if Nineveh, people who don't know God, repent, and then Israel, people who do know God, don't repent, it's like, it's almost a condemnation on Israel. It's almost like he's bringing a death sentence to Israel's doorstep by bringing this message of judgment and warning to Nineveh. Um, number three in your outline. We can get angry because of the godness of God. Verse six. Read with me. Now, as we read this, as you look at this, look, look at how many times, underlining your Bible or just make note of it or count if you can, how many times the word provided is used here. Verse 6, Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you have the right to be angry about the vine? And he said, I do, angry enough to, be got, to die. 
when, when God causes the plant to grow up over Jonah, we're told he was, what's the word? He was happy. Interesting. This is, this is the first time in the book that, that Jonah is in any universe even close to a positive emotion in any way. And think about that. The first time the author tells us that, that Jonah was happy in any single way was when he got something for himself. You guys, I want to suggest this is one of the main points of the whole book. This is certainly one of the main points of this text, that Jonah didn't like God being God, God being in control. And for the first time in the book, God, or I'm sorry, for the first time in the book, Jonah addresses God directly. We read other times he prayed, he did that. Most of the time, you know, God asked him one time earlier in verse 4, do you really have a right to be angry? He just ignores and turns around. He finally asks him, Another time, he says, you know, do you have the right... And finally, Jonah responds, almost again in this sort of explosion of, of anger. And he does address him. He says, look, you, you drug me to Nineveh, okay? You made me preach this message that I didn't want to. And now you're taking away the very last thing, the tiny little piece of joy that I had, this vine. And then he said, what kind of God are you? And what's so cool... God's response. He says, I am the kind of God who has long waited for you to ask that question. You finally got the question right. You finally asked the important question. See, God said, Jonah, you're concerned about the plant. You didn't even put it in the ground. You didn't even water. You didn't take care of it. That thing grew up in a day's time and it died in a day's time. Shouldn't I be concerned about something that, that I did put in the ground? Something that bears my own image? The crown of all creation? People? And see, these particular people in, in Nineveh, they, they were so broken, they were so messed up that, that morally and spiritually, it says, they didn't even know their right hand from their, from their left. That's a picture of utter life confusion. And they're destroying themselves, and they're destroying every single one around them. See, this ancient account is, it's not fundamentally about a great fish. It's not fundamentally about even this great city, Nineveh, I would suggest. But what it really is, we finally see what Jonah really cares about. Remember, look at what you get angry about. Ask the question, what am I defending? And we finally see it exposed. It's exposed to the reader. It might be exposed to Jonah as well. And whether it was walking to Tarshish or going to Nineveh or preaching a message about warning or sitting under a plant for Jonah, here's what it was all about. It's all about me. Everything he did, everything he was involved in, everything he was doing, everything he cared about, everything he said about others, he cared. it ultimately seemed to be about him. And you guys, whether it's a job or, or a car or a bank statement, whether it's about a ministry, some, some way you're serving other people, even if it's about a relationship, you guys, when it's all about me, it's as worthless and fleeting as a plant that'll spring up overnight and die the next day. Jonah's heart is finally exposed. It's finally showing through. But more importantly, God's heart is exposed 
and it's showing through. And, and, and Jonah's seeing for the very first time, that, you guys, there is a huge gap of daylight between his heart and between God's heart. What God cares about is not my comfort, but apparently what God cares about are these little creations who bear his image, who he's put around me, and not just the ones who have the right beliefs. Joseph, you know, Jonah had the right beliefs. But he cares equally about people who are so confused that they don't even know their right hand from the left hand. He loves conservatives and he loves liberals. He loves homosexuals and he loves heterosexuals. He loves Christians and he loves Muslims. He loves first-worlders and he loves second-worlders. He loves Easterners, Westerners. He loves Bronco fans and, well, he loves Bronco fans anyway, right? But see, don't you see, his love has no borders. God's love is absolutely without borders. Now, we can reject his love, and many people do, but his love is without borders. Jonah had borders. And as we read this, if we're honest, you and I have borders. Number four in your outline. Unresolved anger is the enemy of worship and community. Verse 9 reads, But God said to Jonah, Do you have the right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. Think for just a second with me about, about the dangerous power of anger. Now, I, I say power because anger, anger, anger is like dynamite to the soul. More than that, it's like dynamite to the body. You know, there's, there's so much research out there, tons of research, which shows and tells us that anger is much worse on the body and on your heart than like anxiety or extreme physical exertion, sorrow, really any other emotion. N- nothing sets you up for heart disease. Nothing sets you up for a heart attack. Like internalized anger that is not dealt with. See, when we live in a constant state of deep, unresolved anger, remember we said anger, anger sort of pulverizes, it, it disintegrates what it is around us. Think about some of these areas. Anger disintegrates community. We wound people around us in relation to words that we say, actions we take, even if it's passive-aggressive anger, it, it destroys community. Uh, anger also destroys wisdom. Our, our wisdom begins to disintegrate. We make poor choices. Have you ever had this experience that after, after a burst of anger and you've cooled down, you kind of go like, man, what did I, what did I do? Like, what, what was I doing? Do you know why you feel like an idiot? Because you were an idiot. <laughs> See, anger takes away our ability to even use and wield wisdom. What Scripture says is the most important thing. Get it above jewels or anything else in the world. Gain wisdom. Thirdly, I would suggest that anger destroys our will. It means your ability to choose. Proverbs 19.19 says this. This is a fascinating little statement. I think it's so true. It lines up with human experience. Proverbs 19.19 A man of great anger will bear the penalty, for if you rescue him, you will only have to do it again and again. again. Isn't that interesting? person of great anger, you're going to have to rescue him again and again. Why is that? Because see, deep-seated and constant anger eventually wears down your ability to choose 
and you find yourself almost like an addict, just habitually doing the exact same thing that had the exact same bad consequences again and again. Number five, God does not desert us in our anger. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hands from their left. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? What's amazing to me, you guys, is, is that God, knowing, knowing long before he ever even called Jonah, way back when he was in Israel, long, he knew what a pain in the rear Jonah was going to be. He knew how stubborn he was going to be. He knew how obstinate he was going to be. He knew what a difficult road this was going to be. He knew what a broken, self-centered, bitter, reluctant messenger of God. And he still chose him. And see, he's, here he's, he, he's not telling him just what an idiot he is. He's actually talking. He's reasoning with them. He goes, Jonah, listen. He, it's like he's so patient he keeps, God sticks with it. And he's reasoning with Jonah, talking to him. Do you know how many times, like, when I've done something stupid, or I've, I've tried something and it didn't work out the way that I wanted it to go, and I said, if I would have known how difficult this was going to be, I would have never done it from the beginning, right? We say that all the time in our lives. Do you realize that God never, 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 never thinks or says that about you or about me? Those of you who, you know, you might have begun a journey with Jesus I don't know, months ago, years ago. And you, you kind of might be at that place where you go, man, you know, since then, I, I've really, I've made a mess in my life. You might feel like I've, I've really screwed some things up. I've kind of drugged Christ's name through the mud. I've, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes. God knew that when he called you. And if you live in this sort of place of shame, this place of just, oh, I couldn't, you know, I've let him down. Yeah. That's, that's called guilt and then something called repentance. But if you live in this constant place of shame and you just say, well, I could, you know, I've, I've messed up so much. God knew that. He saw that the moment he called you. He knew every decision you would make and he still chose you. Hebrews chapter 2, I love this verse. In the New Testament, author of Hebrews, he says, for the joy set before him. He's talking about Jesus and his approach to the cross. For, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne. You know what the joy set before him was? It was you. And he didn't just do it begrudgingly. All right, I guess I'll do it. He did it like willfully, choosing gladly. Last point, number six. Sometimes our anger is less than noble. And it's more about... Our preferences. Um, you might be a tad confused. You might go, wait a minute. Earlier we saw anger uh, in its original form is just kind of love moving to protect what it is that we love when it's, when it's threatened. But then we also saw that, man, anger is like really dangerous. It destroys and it's, it, it, it can be corruptive in our life. So what's, what's the difference? <laughs> when my anger is less than noble, meaning when my anger is sinful, when it's destructive to my life and others, it's because what I'm moving to protect that's being threatened is not what God is moving to protect that's threatened. My wrong, destructive anger 
usually resolves, revolves around this. Usually things that, that threaten this, little comfort things, big things, whatever, that's, that's when I get angry. And that's usually the kind of anger that's destructive, that in the book of Proverbs eats away at our bones. Really interesting. This, this book, Jonah, is the only book in the Bible that I know of that ends with a question. Unanswered, just a question. Where God says, should I not have concern for Nineveh, that great city? The Hebrew word that we translate, should I not have concern for that city, literally means to have tears in one's eyes. We're left with the image of a God being moved to tears of compassion as he looks at a broken, ignorant, wicked, sinful, stupid people called Nineveh. But, you know, it kind of reminds me of another story. Also ends with a question, one which Jesus told many years in the future. It was a parable about a father and two sons. One of the sons was also in a far-off country, separated from the father, separated from the other, utterly confused, utterly broken. And the older son, who, who stayed in the father's house, he also never went to look for the younger son. And because of deep, controlling, bitter anger in his life, even, even when the one repented, the younger boy repented, celebrated, he couldn't do it. And just like the story of Jonah, Jesus' story ends with this elder brother not sitting outside a city, but sitting outside a house. His back turned to the father in protest. And like Jonah, the father in the story pleads, pleads, pleads with him to celebrate, to come in. And both stories, we're not told what the older brother did. We're not told what Jonah said. And may, may, maybe because, I don't know, maybe because that, that question is, is also posed universally to us. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, God, we are grateful that Jesus gives us a God who not only weeps over our suffering, but, but is, is deeply angered by it, and he's willing to do something about it. In fact, he's done everything about it. Lord, I want to pray for anyone who would be sitting here tonight and, and, and really struggling, maybe with the anger piece. Maybe they're going, man, if, I, if I'm dead honest... Anger is something that really is kind of starting to eat up things in my life. It's starting to disintegrate relationships. It's starting to disintegrate wisdom in my life. I'm making foolish choices. It's starting to even disintegrate my will. Lord, I pray that, that these, those of us who are in that place, God, would first just recognize it. Like Jonah, we would, we would kind of ask that question maybe this week of saying, okay, when I'm angry, what is it that I'm defending? What is it that I really love? Because maybe my loves are mixed up. Maybe I'm loving the wrong things. Lord, I also want to I want to pray for that follower of Jesus who might feel deeply worried that they have made you regret that you ever called them. And that's neurotic. It's not true. But it's felt and it's experienced. God, I pray that they would sense the reality, that they would grasp the reality of a God who would leave and let go of everything and gladly, willfully embrace the cross 
And he looks at us and says, I'd do it again. I'd do it a hundred times because that's how much he loves them. Lord, I pray for that person who is just exploring Jesus right now, who's thinking about it, looking at faith. God, I pray that they would be so captivated by a God who would leave and give everything, embrace that cross, scorn its shame for the joy set before him, and that they would maybe for the first time right now see that that joy set before him was them and all their brokenness and all their misery. Thank you, God, for being angry rather than indifferent when sin eats away at our insides and it seeks to control our lives. Father, for being a king whose splendor is matched by none, and yet you humiliated yourself for us in order that we might share in your splendor. And we pray this in the name of that great, great king, the name above every name, the name of which every knee will one day bow and every tongue confess that he is master of the universe. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're going to continue in some singing. If you're, if you're Timberline family, this is, this is the time for our tithes and offering. If you're a guest, we don't expect you to give. If you did fill out a connection card, you can put that in there. During this song, would you, would you really expose your heart to God? Just kind of in, this, in the stillness, maybe if you sing, maybe you're just quiet and you just listen. But as we reflect upon the awesomeness of our God, and I love this next song, because it looks at a God who is so majestic and so wonderful, and yet he's done everything for us. Father, we recognize your greatness and we proclaim it. God, I pray that as we go out now that we would live it too, that our lives would reflect the greatness of a God who has done all, a God who does surgical strikes because of his anger, of, 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 of the things that are destroying us in our lives, and then empowers us and infuses us with his own majesty and beauty and goodness and calls us forward. That's what we're signing up for, God. We love you. Name. Amen. Amen. You guys, thanks for being here tonight. Love you guys. Our prayer team is up front. If we can pray for you, we would consider it a privilege. Have a great weekend.